Welcome to Fortress of Faith with Tom Wallace, calling North America to repentance and revival. Well, we made it back once again to the corner of truth and courage. Thank you for joining us here today. And if you've not been with us in a while, we're playing our new opening music. Today, I've got a question for you. Do you live for God's holiness or rather do you live for happiness? Which is it? Do we live for the holiness of God or are we living really for our own happiness? There's a story that unfolds in the book of Judges, chapter 17 and 18. Two characters we're going to look at here today. One, his name is Micah. Now, this isn't the prophet Micah that we're familiar with in the Old Testament, but here's a man who, as best as I can tell, he's not a Jew, but he's living in Israel with the tribe of Ephraim. And as the story begins, he saves his family's wealth. For some reason, uh, it was missing 1,100 shekels of silver. But Micah saves the day. He's, he's got it. And he reveals that to his mother. It's not lost, but I have it. And his mother's grateful, and she gives him 200 shekels. And this is used to build a, a house of gods. He's not a believer in Jehovah God. And we begin our story reading in verse number 5 of Judges chapter 17. And the man Micah had a house of gods and made an ephod and a teraphim. An ephod is kind of like the vesture that a priest would wear. And a teraphim is a, you know, a, a, an, an image of, a talisman of sorts, and consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. So he's a religious man, and he builds this house of gods, and he's got an ephod, uh, you know, vestiges for a for a priest to wear, and a teraphim, a you know, a talisman, a good good luck charm, and 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 he consecrates one of his sons to be a priest in this little temple he's built. And in those days, there, were, there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. This is a comment that goes on often in the book of Judges. Then enters our second character in our story. He's a Levite, a Jew, born for the ministry uh, to be in the house of God, to serve in worshiping God. And he's a young man who's looking to improve himself, apparently. And he's looking for a place to serve. And we pick up uh, in verse number 9. And Micah uh, said unto him, Whence comest thou? And he said unto him, I am a Levite from Bethlehem, Judah. And I go to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said unto him, Dwell with me, and be unto me a father and a priest. And I will give thee ten shekels of silver per year and a suit of apparel and thy victuals. In other words, I'll, I'll pay all your expenses, you know, give you ten shekels uh, a year in addition to that and, uh, you know, and a new suit. And so the Levite went in. So apparently both of these men are serving their own happiness. Here we've got, uh, and, and look what, 
Micah says in verse 13, Then said Micah, Now know I that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. So here's a man, you know, he's wealthy, and he's able to have all his other gods to worship. And just for good measure, now he's got a Jewish Levite to be his own personal priest to serve his family. Wow. Man, he's got a lot of happiness right here. So Micah's got everything he wants. What about the Levite? Well, he's got a cushy position, doesn't he? I mean, apparently he really doesn't care much about the laws of Jehovah and his ways. You know, he's willing to, you know, go wherever, serve wherever. Uh, And, you know, he's got himself a pretty good uh, position. He's working for a wealthy man. Apparently this man is not terribly demanding. You know, anything goes with him. All his expenses are paid and he's got shekels in his pocket and a new suit. So certainly he's serving his own happiness. But the narrative turns. Struggles come as they always do. And some people from the tribe of Dan are trying to find their own happiness, trying to find a better place and find some people that they might be able to take from them so that they might have their own happiness. And five spies are sent into Ephraim. And they come to Micah's house and they find this Levite and they find the situation there and they kind of mark it and they keep looking around for really what they're looking for. And they find it a small little city up in Laish. There's no walls and it's a peaceful people and there's no sheriff in town, so to speak. And so next thing we know, 600 people, men of war, are there at the gates of Micah's house and they take his wealth. Not only do they take his wealth, they take his his priest. And the ephod and the teraphim and the graven image and and they haul off with it. And they say to the priests there, go with us. Be to us a father and a priest. It is better. Is it better to be a priest unto the house of one man? Or that thou be a priest unto a tribe and a family of Israel? You know, working with your own people. Of course, this is better. In verse 20, we see his response. And the priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod, the teraphim, the graven image, and he went in the midst of the people. Well, Micah shows up there and says, hey, you've stolen my priest. You've stolen my stuff there. But he realizes he doesn't have the power to take it back from these people. And so he cuts his losses and returns home. His happiness didn't last too long. And that's usually the case, isn't it? But in the next chapter, we kind of see what happens to this Levite. He takes a concubine. After all. He's not really living to the glory of God for the God's holiness. He's living for his own happiness. But she placed the, parlo- uh, the harlot on him. And the Levite, he and his concubine, they're traveling, and it's late at night, and they're trying to find a place, a refuge there. And they come to the town of Gibeah. And they find some Jews there, and one old man has compassion on them, and they take him in. Well, this city is very much like the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, wicked men. And they knock on the door and they say, uh, hey, we know you've got company there. Let, let them come out and let us know them, meaning sexually. Well, the Hebrew, uh, Hebrew man wouldn't let him do that. So the, uh, the Levite says, here, have my concubine and do as you wish with her. And uh, she is savagely raped. In fact, the Bible says they abused her all the night. The next morning they find her pretty much dead on the doorsteps. So this happiness 
didn't last too long for either of them. But here's a man who was not led by his convictions. He did not live for the glory of God, for the holiness of God. Rather, he lived for himself. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, gives us the idea of what is the end of man, what, what should be the real, what's totally important for us. And it says here, whether uh, therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is why in the Westminster Confession, given in 1647, when they asked the question, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. However, we live in a day where Christianity has slipped. We're no longer really living the normal Christian standard that God designed for us. Although it's just normal for us, it's, the, it's a subnormal. But that's been our normal for so long, and we don't know much different. Humanism has crept into Christianity to such an extent that we think that Christianity is to bring man happiness. No. No, we're not here for our happiness. We're here for God's glory. This is the problem we've got going on today because we've packaged Christianity so much and it's so ingrained in our thinking that well, you, you, you want to get saved because you want to go to heaven, right? In other words, we're going to make you happy when you die because, you know, you, you, you want Jesus. You want God to make you happy when you die because you certainly don't want to go to hell. You want to go to heaven, and heaven will bring you happiness. And so we sell God as a means to an end. And, folks, God is not the means to an end. He is the end of all things. He is what we are uh, to live our life for, and that's God. Paris Reedhead, a missionary to Africa, said it so well when he dealt with this subject, how he came to understand how humanism had crept into his, uh, his own idea of what Christianity is. And let me read this to you. He says, I went uh, to Africa primarily to improve on the justice of God. I didn't think it was right for anybody to go to, go to hell without a chance to be saved. I went to give poor sinners a chance to go to heaven. I was simply using the provisions of Jesus Christ as a means to improve upon the human conditions of the suffering and, and misery. And when he got there, <laughs> he found out this. He says, when I got there, uh, th th they weren't poor, ignorant little heathen running around the woods waiting and looking for someone to tell them how to go to heaven. They had far more knowledge of God than he had ever dreamed they had. They knew about God and about heaven and didn't want to go there. They were monsters of iniquity that were living in utter and total defiance of God. He said they, they deserved hell because they utterly refused to walk in the light of their conscience and in the light of the law written upon their heart and the testimony of the nature of of the truth that they knew. And when he learned this, that these people, you know, weren't just little heathens and just, you know, they wanted heaven, but they, you know, he found out, no, they knew about heaven. They knew about God. They just didn't want God. They wanted their sin. And he wanted to quit. He wanted to come home. 
And he goes on to say, it was there in Africa that God began to tear through the overlay of this humanism. And it was that day in my bedroom with the door locked that I wrestled with God. It seemed to me that I heard him say, yes, will not the judge of all the earth do right? The heathen are lost and they are going to hell, not because they haven't heard the gospel. They're going, they're going to hell because they are sinners who, who love their sin and because they deserve and because who love their sin and because they deserve hell. But I didn't send you out there for them. I didn't send you out, uh, send you there for their sakes. I didn't send you to Africa for the sake of the heathen. I sent you to Africa for my sake. They deserved hell, but I love them. And I endured the agonies of hell for them. I didn't send you out there for them. I sent you out there for me. Do I not deserve the reward of my suffering? And that's when he said, so that's when he got it. I'm not doing this so that they can get saved, so I can improve their life and make Jesus, make God a genie for them. God made provision for their salvation, and I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for God. If you get a hold of this, it will change your life, and it will put you on the road to personal revival. All that we do, we do for the glory and the holiness of God and not for the happiness of man to improve someone's position. And when we realize that, that's one of the greatest mysteries of the Christian life. Join us again tomorrow at the Corner of Truth and Courage.